Hello, everybody. My name is Daniel Prince, and I am the host of the Once Bitten podcast. This is a podcast focused on Bitcoin. It's my mission to interview as many people as I can around the different aspects of Bitcoin and help people understand exactly what Bitcoin could mean for them and for their families and for their future. I hope you enjoy the show. Thank you so much for listening. Hello, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the Once Bitten podcast, the spooky white paper day edition. No, Halloween doesn't count for shit. It certainly will not in the future when we use this day to celebrate the day that this was the day that Satoshi released the white paper to that emailing list in 2008. Anyway, to talk about uh, a book, a thousand uh, fraud coin, a thousand years of inflation as a policy is author Rude Osgard. This is a great book. I was really surprised by it. It was an unbelievable find at the Consensus Network booth at BTC Prague. I'd not heard of Rune at that point. I dove into the book as soon as I could and I was just really, really blown away by, uh, first of all, the, the writing and the knowledge and the history. And Rune has become uh, yeah, a close ally now. He's just edited a piece for me that uh, I've written after being inspired by him about King Henry VIII and uh, a secret inflation and debasement policy that he pulled back in the day. And I'll be releasing that too soon as well. So look out for that. Rune has also just released a new book, which he's announced as of today on Bitcoin White Paper Day. And it's called Unbar, and it's going to be uh, talking about the, the law system. And we talk about that in this episode as well. So look out for both books now by Rune and give him a follow on Twitter. Now, before we get into the show, please, as always, show support for the sponsors of this show. Longstanding now, Swan.com and Relay. Uh, we've got these companies, one based in the US with Swan, one based in Europe with Relay, doing great work, doing similar work, trying to onboard as many people onto Bitcoin as possible and to make it as simple to buy Bitcoin as possible. Both have white glove services, both are focused on education. And in the, uh, in the case of Relay now in Europe, uh, Lightning has been integrated to their app and you can download their app and smash by up to a thousand Swiss or equivalent per day into Bitcoin, straight into your uh, Relay wallet as well. So if you wanna go and start stacking, these two are the best places on either side of the pond. If you wanna stay completely KYC free on your rabbit hole journey, hodl hodl, I've got you covered. There's a link in the show notes. Hit that link, you will save on commissions. They are a global peer-to-peer uh, -peer trading and lending platform. If you use the code BITTEN for SWAN and Relay, uh, you'll also unlock some uh, save commissions or in the case of SWAN, a free $10 worth of Bitcoin. WasabiWallet.io. Get to the desktop, open that laptop, download Wasabi Wallet, create a wallet and run some Satoshis through it. See what happens because it's magic. It's a coin joint and it breaks your identity from where you purchase the Bitcoin. So it's an up in your privacy. And then cold storage, Bitbox02. They've got you covered. And again, they've been around for a long, long time in the space now. It's a Bitcoin only hardware wallet brought to you by the team over at Bitbox. Use the code BITTEN, you will save 5% on that purchase. And then track your transactions. Mempool.space is the place to go for that and visualize the Bitcoin blockchain and mempool. Find your people on Orange Pill app 
and enjoy this rip with Rune. All right, we're here with Rune. Ostgard, oh, I should have asked you how to pronounce that before I pressed record. What a rookie. I hope I did well. You did well, yeah. Okay, excellent. Thank you. Well, Lauren, uh, Rune wrote the book Fraud Coin here, which I picked up in Prague from the Consensus Network, guys. So a big plug for the Consensus Network, bitcoinbook.shop. I always forget that. Uh, and uh, go pick it up because it's uh, it's amazing. So what's your question to Rune? What is inflation? It's a money print thing. <laughs> so it's because we, we create uh, more money by borrowing money from the banks. And when we increase the amount of money in uh, society, then the prices will almost automatically rise. Now, she did say, why should I ask a question that I already know the answer to? So did you know that answer? Yeah, I, oh. I didn't know yet to borrow it from the banks, but otherwise I knew everything else. Okay, good. So we, we've completed another piece of the uh, the puzzle there for you. But I, I, okay, so I am doing myself uh, a good job here of talking about inflation and how wrong it is all the time at home. And uh, you've clearly listened, not just to me, but to other people that you've met along the way. So do you have any other questions then about like, how do people borrow it from the bank or anything like that come to mind? Um, why did you write a book? Okay, uh, I just felt that I had to write it. It was, uh, it was, it had been buried deep inside me for many years. Uh, and uh, when uh, inflation spiraled out of control in uh, yeah, the summer of 2022, I think it was, uh, it began here in Norway at least. I, I said to myself that I have to write this now and it was supposed to just be a, a very tiny article and then it turned out to, it became a book in the end and uh, a guy said, uh, you, you, you really should publish this book because, because it's so important. It's, it's uh, the most important book that has been written in Norway for decades, he said. And uh, then I just had to do it. A calling. Yeah. Like many of us in the Bitcoin space. Well, thank you for your questions. Thank you. Anyways, yes. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye. <laughs> All right. So what did I love about Fraudcoin? And for those that watch YouTube, here is uh, the copy that, that I have. Uh, I'll get it signed one day when I get to meet you in person uh, at one of the conferences, hopefully. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, so... The historical knowledge in there is what I think so many of us in the Bitcoin space get drawn towards. Certainly me, I know personally, I love learning about the history. And I think uh, that's just human. Uh, I think uh, if you were to ask most people what was their favorite subject at school, it'd be a mix of either history or classic studying Greek mythology and things like that, because that was the one thing that took a lot of the boredom out of the day. Uh, so why did you, how did you start thinking about, you know, depicting the book in such a way that you take us on a historical journey through inflation? Okay. First of all, I think that history is the best educator we can have. And, uh, it's, uh, 
so uh, to to acquire knowledge uh, i think if you if you get a sort of a feeling of what people have done and uh, a feeling of what kind of personalities that some key figures had is so much uh, much easier to 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 learn a subject and uh, so i try to play a little bit with uh, with people's uh, emotions when i write books and um to keep them interested all all the way because i i want them to 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 read it uh, from from the first to the last page in one go uh, um that's that's my objective and uh and you you really have to 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 get them feel that they are connected to what they are reading about and it's, it's especially important when it comes to inflation because uh it's uh when people when economists uh, speak about in inflation, they make it uh, far too much complex than uh, they should. So when people pick up a book like this, uh, Fraud Coin, 1000 Years with Inflation as a Policy, they might imagine that this is very complex. So I have to prove them wrong from page one. That's my idea um, about how you should write a book about that, a topic like this. Did you see the IMF drop that video the other day explaining inflation? Has that one crossed your Twitter feed? I could I couldn't stomach watching all of it. I just saw a few seconds and some comments. And this is a really gaslighting 2.0, isn't it? Yeah, it's uh, so sick. And um, you know, to tell you a story about what happened here, my daughter, eighteen-year-old daughter, she came running down. She's like, "Daddy, have you seen the IMF?" released a, a video about inflation and like you my response was i've been made aware of it i can't watch any more than five seconds of it it makes me sick uh and um whoever that paid actor is that lady uh one day she's going to realize what she was a part of and that's going to cause her a lot of pain going forward for the rest of her life because she's sitting there explaining something to people like they're idiots and lying to them through her teeth possibly without even realizing it and this is what has happened how far humanity has fallen where you know somebody is willing to be paid to go on and do this kind of thing for the imf and she's like yeah i was watching it was, okay well what do you think does it make any sense she's like no it makes complete no sense it makes the com it's the complete opposite to anything that you've talked about or i've learned from uh, Safe Dean or anybody else, she's done a few of the conferences and listened to some of the panels. I'm like, well, you're going to have to read Fraudcoin next because that will really obliterate it. But yet the, the level of gaslighting has just stepped up another notch because that was a highly edited, uh, incredibly expensive video of about eight to nine minutes of this you know, very well-polished young lady talking to you about inflation and it really gets me angry is the only word i can really use yes and uh, uh some years ago uh, 20 years ago i i realized that i had spent 18 years in total uh, going to school and the university um, and I, I had never uh, been taught anything about how money is created and uh, what what kind of function the money monetary system has in our society 
And so, so you know, the main thing is that we aren't being being told taught anything about this. And um, my my understanding was that this uh, video recording was uh, supposed to be for education purposes. And uh, when they when they first talk about this, they they talk about all the other things that might affect prices in the short to medium term. And never she never probably mentioned at all anything about money creation and uh, how how that occurs. So it's uh, it's taking it a step further, and uh, that's why I call it gaslighting 2.0. So. Um, it, it makes me really concerned uh, about uh, what, what's going to be their audience. Is this something that's going to be sent out to, to, to sort of the edu education authorities uh, in the English speaking world? Uh, are they going to try to inspire um, others in 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 uh, countries where they don't speak english to do the same are they going to do have something similar produced by the for instance the bank uh, the, the norwegian central bank uh, is this something that they're going to push out to the schools to to our kids um but i i'm not uh, very surprised either because now uh, after i published this book uh, uh, the economics uh, students have uh, picked it up uh, in Norway. So they are talking about fraud coin now and uh, they have uh, contacted me and uh, want me to, to um, come and uh, give a, a speech uh, on, on two, two different uh, universities in Norway. And they want to invite uh, the authorities as well to to sort of uh, respond to my claims in, in the books. So it's, uh, you know, Norway is uh, just a small country. Um, we are only 5 point, uh, is it 5.5 uh, million people living here? So it is uh, possible to, to really make an, uh, make an effect to, to get a reaction in such a small country. Uh, if, if you write something like uh, I have done. So I, I do understand that uh, there is a concern uh, in, in the banking sector and uh, within the authorities now that uh, the truth might actually come out to the people. And the worst thing is, uh, of course, if the youth, uh, if, the, if the young ones learn about this now. My, my advice to young people is, uh, first of all, you shouldn't take on any debt. You, you shouldn't borrow money at all, because if once you connect to that system, you are letting the government and, and uh, the super wealthy start feasting, uh, feasting on you, and you, are, you might be lost for, for, for forever into this uh, sick system. So don't take on any debt at all. And of course, uh, this system can only survive if the, if the next generation goes on and do exactly what our generation has, uh, has, uh, has done, which is uh, borrow too much money, you know, and uh, in order to get access to everything that the neighbor has. And I'm so happy uh, when I see um, what you do, that you involve uh, your kids and uh, also the effort you are doing uh, to 
uh, teach people about homeschooling and uh, and uh, that it's really a possibility that people should look into and inspire others. I'm so glad uh, to to hear and uh, and read about that. That's the most important thing. It's the next gender generation. They own the future. It's not like um, the the. The youth is our future. That's uh, that's totally wrong. It's uh, the the youth that owns the future, and we just need to guide them and uh, make them connect to a to a better monetary system than the the political debt based uh, money that uh, we are part of today. And it's such a great point to to like really kind of uh, build on what you've just said there. Going into debt is not just a really bad idea because you then just become a slave to that system and they feed on you, like you said, but going into debt to enter a university, for example, to go into debt, to enslave yourself, to pay someone to teach you incorrect facts is just the double whammy. Like they're so insidious and so evil <laughs> like to, to, to do that to a human being and the people that designed this system designed it this way, like it is designed by this way. And these curriculums, I like to call them agendas have been crafted this way. And the teachers have been captured in this system because they're just as indebted and they're completely indebted because this is the only way that they can make a living. So there's no way they're going to leave it. And therefore, they are just going to push the narrative and they are just going to push the agenda, which is pushed down onto them. Even if they don't believe it, they are going to teach the kids what's in the curriculum, what the answers are to these questions so the kids can get their marks at the end of the day and they can get paid. This is sick. <laughs> this is so bad. Mm. Um, so it's amazing to hear that some university students have reached out to you and they want to learn more and they want to invite you in and get some of the establishment in to challenge you. And I think you've got a brilliant way to, to get this across now because you use so much Norwegian history here, uh, which many of the listeners would have no idea about. So let's get into that because I learned a lot about the monetary system in the Viking age. It's, it starts on page 18. Uh, some previous kings, um, if, if you can't remember the dates verbatim, you know, don't feel uh, too pressured, but... <laughs> Walk us through, walk us through what was going on in those days. I mean, it started. Uh, it says here, Viking Age in Northern Europe lasted from 760 AD to 1066 AD. An auspicious date for a British person. We'll get to that as well. Anyway, go ahead. Okay, so I, I think the the most important thing is to start out with uh, understanding that uh, monetary policy. You know, making politics uh, out of money but uh, that uh, is something that really uh, wasn't there from the outset with the first civilizations um, uh, so it took uh, quite a while before some authorities decided that they should be the only ones who would be allowed to create money so that started probably uh, first in, uh, I think, in Athens uh, around 430 years before Christ. Uh, they wanted to 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 use the basement of the silver silver coins, possibly also gold coins. I don't know if they used that uh, to finance the war against the Spartans. They lost the war, and uh, um, 
and later on uh, the, the this new policy of money uh, monetary monopoly it spread throughout the world uh, but very slowly so it spread to to the roman empire and uh, the region where i come from which is uh, the middle part of norway it, it was one of the freest regions uh, in the world, probably at that time, in, in, during the Viking Age, which lasted from yeah, the 8th uh, century after uh, Christ and until 1066, year, year 1066. So we, we were one of the last uh, uh, places in the Western world, I think, which had what I call monetary freedom monetary freedom that's uh, the right to use whatever money you like best and nobody has the, uh, any monopoly on creating money so um but what happened was that uh, um, my my region which is called Trundelag, it uh, consisted of, um, of uh, mainly farmers and landowners uh, and uh, kings didn't have any sort of a foothold, uh, at least not a strong foothold in this part of Norway. And uh, um, almost in parallel, uh, parallel with the christening of uh, this region, where the kings forced the people to, to become uh, uh, Christians instead of being uh, heathens. So uh, in in parallel, the kings uh, tried to introduce uh, uh, silver coinage uh, or sil um, um, in, um, to, to force people to to use their coins, and uh, that didn't actually succeed in in my region for the year 1050. And uh, it was a famous uh, Viking king. His name is Harald uh, Hardrada. He was the last Viking king. He, he managed to, to, to force the people to use his uh, coins after he killed uh, one of the more powerful um, uh, strongmen in, uh, in my re region. So he killed him and his son and uh, immediately decided that everybody had to accept his coins and he set up a mint uh, here in uh, the city of Trondheim, which is uh, just south uh, south of uh, where I live and also in another city further south uh, in, in Norway and, um, and uh, that was it. And since then, we have uh, had almost 1000 years with the inflation as a policy, which is the subtitle in my book. So I could go on and on and talk about this because, uh, because I'm, I'm so interested in it myself. But, but, the, but the main thing, the main takeaway, I think, is that he debased the coins from about 90% to 30% uh, silver content within just uh, 16 years. And that's, a, that's an inflation rate uh, in terms of monetary inflation which is about 7%, percentage, uh, 7% per year on average. And that's uh, almost exact the same um, uh, rate as the rate of in increase in uh, US dollars and Norwegian kroner in the period uh, 2002 to 2022. So uh, history repeats itself, you might say, and um, um, it's really crazy to, to make this discovery. I was sort of the first one who connected the dots uh, here in Norway, uh, reading, studying, you know, the, the 
the sagas uh, about uh, the, the the old uh, Norwegian kings, and uh, looking into the co early coinage here in uh, in Norway. And um, so I, I I just when I connected the, these thoughts, uh, I realized this is a story that needs to be told because it's so special for for my country and also I think for the whole world. Because this was the, the the last area in probably in the in the West, in the, at least in the civilized civilized parts of the world, where we had monetary freedom, and the only uh, place where we know the names of the people who, who fought against um, the the tyranny and also the why it was um, introduced and how and who introduced the, the inflation policy. So it's very, it's a very special story, and uh, because it's so special, I think it's easy for for all people around the world to connect uh, to this uh, this story. I don't no, know I, what you felt about it. Yeah, so I, I'll have a British slant on this. Um, do you learn about those kings or that particular king in any fashion at all during childhood, during schooling? If we learned about the Harald Harald, yes, we learned a little bit about him, but uh, okay. it was a more of a focus on uh, on his half brother. His name was Olaf, and uh, he was the main uh, king who who christened uh, the Norwegians. And uh, he actually he he tried to to yeah he was a tyrant uh, just like uh, Harald was. Um, and he was an enemy of my ancestors here in Trøndelag. Um, he he kidnapped uh, the sons of the of the the big landowners here. He tyrannized my people, and in the end, the, the, there was an uprising, and he was killed by my ancestors uh, in a in a big battle in 1030. And 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 the thing which I'm struggling so much to to sort of cope with is that he is uh, almost worshipped as a sort of a godfather to the Norwegian um, to the Norwegian state. That's all of uh, all of the, the holy he's known as. And uh, and so that's the guy we, we learn a lot about uh, and, and mainly from a sort of a favorable yeah, viewpoint, you might say. Uh, we don't uh, hear anything at all about Hydral and uh, how he, he introduced uh, inflation policy in Norway. Yeah, okay. Same thing. Let's let's like jet across to the UK and uh, look at the kind of stuff that we learn about our royal family in England. Favorite subject, King Henry VIII. Why? Like, you know, this dude, like, murdered how many of his wives or divorced them or uh, shamed them? Um, yeah, great guy, right? What what, a, what an incredible kind of bloke that we should be not not just revering but learning about deeply. But I, so it's weird that I read this book just at the time that I was uncovering my own truths about uh, inflation, uh, and I don't know what took me down... I know what took me down the rabbit hole, Gresham, Gresham's Law. And my mom and dad, well, my mom sent a text through saying, just to let you know, it's 55 years or so, I can't remember the exact amount, 55 years ago that your father and I met uh, in the bank. They used to work in a bank together. 
Swiss Bank, I think, in London. It was Swiss Bank. Uh, met each other together at Swiss Bank in Gresham Street. I'm like, Gresham Street? It, it can't be. Like, it's surely not. So I go straight on Gresham Street, London. This street is named after Thomas Gresham, blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, yeah, it is. It's Gresham's law dude. So who is he? Where was he? And why? And uh, yeah, sure enough, that leads me to King Henry VIII and his little inflation saga. He uh, started debasing the currency after his uh, penchant for, for war with France and Scotland. Uh, the, the royal coppers had run dry towards the end. It was towards the end of his reign. Uh, and he's well towards the end of his life. Uh, so when, he, when was this? This had been around like the mid 1600s, around 1650, if I'm not completely mistaken. Uh, so he started to um, collude with his uh, economic advisors and they decided to start debasing the monetary supply. And they would do that. I can't remember the name of the, the coins that they used, but basically uh, it was a silver coin and they started debasing it with copper. And as the coins were minted, uh, his head was minted onto the coin and his nose would slightly protrude as the, the, the face was stamped on. These coins were kept in secret, brilliantly enough, uh, at Parliament, I believe, at Westminster, under lock and key, until the time was right to flood the system with them. And flood the system with them, they did. Uh, and the people realized what was going on not too long afterwards because the coins would chink around, clash together in their, their purses or their pockets, and that little bit of silver would come off the nose, revealing the, the copper underneath. So they knew what was going on. He got nicknamed Old Copper Nose, actually, by, by the proletariat, by the plebs, the serfs, the people actually doing the work and in, in the economic marketplace. And um, this, of course, started pushing out the good money, right, as Gresham's law would state, because the real money, the gold coins, they went into hoarding. They went underground. The tradesmen that come across from uh, other parts of the world in their ships to trade their herbs, spices, food, fruits, sugars, whatever, they would own, they knew the gig was up. They would not accept the silver coins with the copper nose. They would only accept the gold. So the gold was not only being hoarded onshore, it's being um, taken offshore as well. He dies. This is still going on. Uh, Queen Elizabeth then uh, gets into the um, into the hot seat, and she has her economic advisors, one of which was Gresham, who explained this what was going on, and she reversed it and brought back uh, sound money. Now we're not taught about that in school, but we do study King Henry and we do study Queen Elizabeth. But my God, what a great story! What an interesting story to tell kids. No. We can't have them knowing that. Mm. Very interesting. And uh, I'm so glad you are looking into this. And uh, hopefully you will also write something about it and get it across to, to everybody else because we need to collect all these stories, how it all, how it all started. I think it, it, uh, the, the, the policy of inflation should have started uh, much earlier also in the... Uh, in the, in the British countries, uh, in in England, uh, for sure, I'm quite sure of that. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, he was just following the footsteps of what, mm. of what people had done before him, uh, which 
I mean, from my understanding as a, well, <laughs> of course, he forked religion as well. He had his own religion, right? You know, what, he he he'd completely, he made the Church of England in order to be able to uh, divorce his first wife. Uh, <laughs> so, but under... Under that religion, under like um, it would have been Catholic, Catholicism, Christianity, even um, Muslim, right? It's it, it's completely forbidden to uh, the name's usury, I believe, in English. Yeah. I think it's reba, uh, the the word that they would use it in Muslim. It's completely forbidden to gain from interest on loans made to your fellow people. How far we've fallen, room. <laughs> That's very interesting. It's uh, oh, I, you know, the kids. Uh, let's turn back to that subject. I think they understand money uh, very in intuitively. It's easy for for the kids to understand it, and. Um, They understand scarcity yeah. almost immediately. You they know, do, you, they you do see, understand scarcity. If you, if, you, and... if you remember playing in, um, you, you might have played marbles in the playground or you might have collected stickers or Pokemon stickers or yeah. uh, Panini football stickers. You intuitively knew the silver ones were yeah. more rare, more scarce, and are going to command uh, two or three normal playing cards in return for a, uh, a transaction. Mm. They also understand scarcity from the point of view that uh, it's not enough for everybody. How should we divide this? How should it be sort of distributed in a fair way? They have a very strong sense of that. Um, and uh, I think it's it, it's quite easy to teach uh, the kids uh, how important the monetary system is for, for, for the society. And I often talk about, um, and you mentioned the religion there uh, when you talked about uh, King Henry. And um, I think uh, religion as part of a more broader concept that we can call um, the belief system, the belief system in society, that's sort of layer zero, the, the way I see it. And, and then you have the monetary system, which is sort of built on top of, of the belief system. And everything else uh, scales uh, on top of that uh, as, as layers, you know, with the laws and the taxation, democracy, education system, food, uh, infrastructure, everything uh, scales on, on, on top of, um, in at least in a civilization, it's like that. So um, I think these are some key wisdoms you might say that is uh, very easy for for kids to uh, to understand i i would assume that they would uh, understand it uh, in well, uh, as young as eight nine years or something like that uh, it shouldn't be any problem at all uh, to to teach them how this works and uh, so i think that should be our focus because we are in a long-term battle and uh, um educating our kids about this and uh, starting with uh, our loved ones uh, and, and and do a good job there that, that's the most important thing 
Yeah. And so we, we've, um, we've talked a little bit about inflation. Uh, I want to talk about your latest tweet, which you just sent to me before we, we jumped on here, because for people listening, learning about inflation, what's going on, the history of it, the, um, well, the, the downsides of it, what it's actually doing to our um, system. But we're also facing at the moment uh, price rates, price hikes in um, interest rates. So I'm going to read to you uh, the tweet that you've put out there, and then we can dig into it and you can give us your thoughts. Uh, so you start it. Understanding money mechanics. The interest rate hikes crowd out most of the private sector as the government and the super wealthy are the only ones who can afford getting access to the money creator, that is the bank lending. If all groups could continue to borrow money, price inflation would run amok. So the government and the super wealthy must reduce the other group's ability to borrow if they themselves should be able to borrow money without causing uncontrollable price inflation. The added bonus for the few who can borrow is that high interest rates makes markets crash, thus enabling those who can borrow money to profit from a gigantic fire sale. In essence, the high interest rate that the mere mortals pay is a subsidy to the state and the one percenters. The monetary and banking system is so fundamentally rigged in favor of the government, the super wealthy, and the big banks. It's criminal. Furthermore, remember that this is layer one in our civilization. Everything else is built on top of it. Absolutely everything from education to food, infrastructure, elections and wars. Conclusion, we will not get a better society if we don't get rid of today's monetary system. So that you'd already touched on. But price hikes, interest rates, people are sitting back. They're seeing this happen in front of their eyes. They're, they're being told it's happening for a reason on the, the wonderful television and the, the nice man with the gray hair and the gray suit and the nice tie that is good for you. And this will help bring down prices and we've got to get inflation under control and we're all is in this together. They have no clue what's going on. Like it's like you said, criminal. There's no other word for it. It's criminal. It's organized crime, mafioso style theft on the grandest of scales. Yes, and it's been like this uh, for 1,000 years almost in, in my region. And uh, this is a sort of a battle that I, I, I want to, to continue. Uh, this is something we, we have to do for the, all the generations in the past uh, and also for the future uh, for our kids and the, and the next generations. This can't continue. We have to do this battle. We, we, we can't afford to... Otherwise, we will end up uh, like serf, serfs, just like uh, many of our, of our predecessors uh, were. So, yeah, it's important. And uh, my my explanation there, it's it's very simple. It it doesn't have to be uh, made any more complex than that. People will understand understand how money is created. So what do you say then to, let, let's say you, you get to the university, you can deliver. I have a problem with... Uh, did, we, did we slightly drop out? Did we can't we lose hear you anymore. Oh, okay. Just a second. Now I can hear you. Yep, okay. Um, so, I, so I was going to say, um, where was I going with this? 
Yeah, you, you get to uh, you get. Let's say you get to the university. You can deliver this uh, this speech to um, to the university age kids, and one of the the patriarchs of the old system raise their hand and they say, "But Rune, you, clearly you must understand that a little inflation is good for the economy." You know the the classic line, the the Keynesian slogan. How do you try and explain to people that it is not? <laughs> Okay, first of all, I would uh, say that uh, inflation began as a policy in Norway 900 years before some uh, economists, both Keynes and a Norwegian economist, which uh, I uh, write about in my book, before they come, came up with this excuse for the, the policy. And it has never been proven that they are correct in stating that creating more money is good for the economy, that it's good for society. So they have to prove their case. They have never done that. It's, a, it's purely a statement. It's an argument. It hasn't been proven. And I, I am a lawyer. I'm, I'm used to dealing with evidence on an everyday basis. I haven't seen any evidence for this statement, neither empiric, uh, empirical evidence, and no statistics, nothing at all, or any uh, logical arguments which support this uh, statement that creating money is good for society. Never. I have never seen it. They better come up with it and, um, and prove their case. Perfect. Okay. Lawyer, you, you, you touched there on your fiat role in, uh, in this. How, how many years as a lawyer? So I um, finished uh, my law degree in 1998, and uh, I've had uh, various positions uh, within, the, within the government, the Norwegian government, and I've also been working as a so-called national expert in the European Commission in Brussels for almost uh, three years. And uh, I've been uh, working as a lawyer in the private sector with, um, yeah, since 2006. So that's uh, how many years? 17 years or something like that with my own company now for about uh, 10 years or something like that. Just a small uh, boutique, uh, which I run together with, uh, with one partner. Yeah, they wouldn't want you over in Brussels anymore. Uh, I, I longed for going back to Norway because uh, <laughs> European Commission was basically, that was nothing for me. I could tell uh, many stories about that as well, but I really would recommend anybody working in that uh, kind of bureaucracy. It's, uh, uh, yeah, but it was important for, for, for sort of my education to understand uh, how things work from the inside how um, they make laws, uh, for instance, the legislation on, an uh, on a European level. So um, I'm very happy for the British people that you opted out of that uh, crazy stuff. Uh, that was uh, one of the most significant uh, political um, uh, happenings uh, in the last few years. Very happy for you. What is there a, a certain moment that you were sitting there um inside the ec inside the belly of the beast because this would have been long before bitcoin uh it even been dreamt up um there must be so many 
priming points that you saw that uh, that helped you fall down to the uh, the Bitcoin rabbit hole once it did open up, you know, beneath your feet? What what was um what were a few examples of, of things that you saw going on that just didn't sit right with you or make any sense at all? Okay. So first of all, it was possible for me to analyze what kind of situation I was in because I just before I uh, went to Brussels in 2002, I think uh, I started reading uh, Ayn Brand's uh, Atlas Shrugged, which is, you know, her uh, fantastic novel, which uh, teaches you a lot about how politics work and how society works and the function of money, uh, etc. Et so it's very, it's a very sort of, uh, it's a good book. She was inspired by Ludwig von Mises, the, the famous Austrian economics, eco economist. So I learned so much, which made it possible for me to analyze uh, what's going uh, on uh, around me. So the reason why I went to, to Brussels was because we have we had carried out some uh, very important reforms in our management of the radio, frec uh, radio frequency spectrum. We switched it um, switched out a, a Soviet-style command and control system, and introduced uh, a market-based system, which we completed uh, yeah, around 2006 or something like that. So um, we was the second country in the world which did this. New Zealand had done it in the late uh, 1980s, and. Uh, the pretext for inviting me to the European Commission was uh, that they wanted to study uh, these uh, market-based reforms and uh, perhaps try to convince the other uh, the member states uh, to do something similar in their countries. And what happened was that uh, I governed several uh, studies, uh, studies on market-based uh, radio spectrum management and other things like that and which was which were financed by the European Commission and uh, wrote policy papers etc but the, the the cunning thing that the European Commission did was that they sort of showed uh, this to the member states and told them uh, not um, they didn't spell it out directly but they made the member state understand that if you don't give us control over your radio uh, frequencies, then uh, which is a nationally controlled um, uh, asset, it's a scarce asset, very valuable asset. If you don't uh, give us control over more of your own national uh, resources, then we might implement implement uh, market-based reforms in in uh, throughout uh, Europe. And then uh, what happens then is that many of uh, the bureaucrats working for, for the radio spectrum authorities, they will be out of job or they will at least have, uh, have to re-educate themselves and they will be left with much less power than they, they had. So uh, what, I, what I experienced was more or less being intellectually raped, so to speak, because I I came here with uh, came to Brussels with all this knowledge and uh, told them this is the way uh, we can do it. We can make this gradually and we can change different parts of, of this policy over time. And then they just um, uh, used it uh, as in a power game with with the member states, and they acquired more and more control over uh, the the radio spectrum throughout uh, the European Union. 
so it was uh, turned uh, uh, very much on on its head i came there with a vision and they abused my knowledge and uh, used it to 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 reduce uh, the the benefits uh, for for the european people and uh, uh, yeah, to to gain uh, more power because controlling the radio spectrum, you know, and with the ability to control wireless communication indirectly by by having control over the of the infrastructure, that's very important. So uh, it it saddened me uh, a, a lot. So I, I I began to hate the European Commission and the, and the whole project of the European Union. Uh, I think in the in the third year when I was there, because I understood the, the, the way, the direction this was heading. It was really um, a mind-boggling, mind yeah. is that what you call, call it? Yep. Mind-blowing experience. Um, so, and also to see how the inner workings of, 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 of such a political um, community is, it, it was quite frightening, to, to be honest with you. And what kind of personality type gets attracted to this kind of arena? That's an excellent question. I think that you know um, most of the people who who who, who get a, a position in the European uh, Commission, I think, come from the the go various government agencies, and you have uh, people with uh, backgrounds from politics and uh, also a little bit from the private sector but mo most of them i think uh, come there in in order to to try to do something good and uh, i i would assume that most people uh, give up uh, on that um, while they uh, at the same time as they get used to the high pay because it's really very financially very um, beneficial to to be working for the european commission you have a high pay and the, the living standards in Brussels are very, very good, I would say. So people get accustomed to all those benefits of being a, a, a bureaucrat down there. And uh, and uh, they understand that they are only small pieces in the puzzle. They, they can't uh, reform it. Uh, so they just play along. And then uh, it's a sort of it uh, it becomes carte blanche, you know, uh, an easy game for those who are more, we shouldn't say evil-minded, but those who have ambitions to sort of uh, increase the power of uh, the European Union uh, at the cost of the member states. Uh, those who, who really are ambitious, they they get a very easy play because there is almost no. Uh, um, no, no, no people working for the European Commission who try to fight against this uh, kind of development. So it's a, a self-fulfilling uh, uh, prophecy, so to speak, uh, uh, having a, um, uh, a bureaucracy of this kind with, with the powers that it already was uh, given uh, uh, many, many decades ago. So as a, as a lawyer, when this... Um case came up against Christine Lagarde uh, back in, I can't remember, I think it might, 2015 maybe, I can't remember the exact dates, um, where she was uh, sent to court for uh, aiding and abetting the embezzlement or laundering or 
helping about 400 million euros go missing in the direction of Nicolas Sarkozy, the ex-president of or prime minister of France, whatever position he helped. And when she went to court and was found guilty in court for these crimes and given um, the verdict of committing gross negligence, I think, are the, uh, exact, was the exact term, but then was not given any fine and was not given any punishment of any sort. She walked out of the court uh, after a guilty verdict, completely free, mm. out of the IMF and into the hot seat of the president of the ECB. Just putting your lawyer's hat on, not pissed off Bitcoiner's hat, lawyer's hat. <laughs> what the hell happened there? I don't, I don't really know the case, so... Um... It's it's difficult for me to to comment on that from a sort of a legal perspective. Uh, I think uh, it was all about politics. That's uh, the most uh, my most uh, my best guess. I would I would say and 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 what what people really need to uh, to wrap their heads around in order to understand how politics uh, works. I think what uh, is that. On a very high level, the people who really have top positions, um, it, it looks on the, uh, from our perspective, it looks like it's, this is a scandal that she wasn't sentenced to a long uh, uh, stay in, in jail. But from the top politician's perspective, I think it's important to send that message that we are almost untouchable. So they don't portray it as a scandal as such. Uh, I would see it if I was in their position, I would see, see it as a marketing scheme, telling the whole world, other powerful people as well, that um, look here, this is how much power I, uh, I've got. I've been involved with in this uh, scheme, which uh, is being portrayed as a scandal, but I'm completely untouched uh, or unskated or whatever you call it. Um, nobody can do anything against me. So watch out because I have so much power. That's, that's my take from this. And we have uh, a similar situation now here in uh, Norway where we have at least five current or former ministers of the current administration that we have uh, now today, which have uh, been um, involved in scandals with uh, some of them with insider trading. And it also includes our former prime minister. Her name is Arna Solberg. She is from the Conservative Party. She has, uh, she's involved in a scandal where her husband has been trading stocks um, all the time while she was uh, prime minister for, for eight years until, 2000, uh, until 2021, was it? 2022? 21 was it, yeah. And he was trading uh, stocks in companies which were, uh, which were influenced by her decisions as prime minister. So we have uh, had a, a whole string of scandals now in just less than yeah, less than two years, and very little happens with these top pol uh, politicians. 
and it sends a signal to to the to the voters that uh, these guys can do everything they are untouchables that's the most most important thing so it's it's all about politics it has very little to do with law and absolutely nothing to do with ethics that's my take and uh, have you lost faith in law yes definitely because when i was 18 years old i i told myself i want to to study law because i want to become a judge and uh, because i believe um, uh, in uh, in justice and fairness and um, th that's what why i spent six years studying uh, law you know and when i finished i was uh, 26 years old. The problem was uh, then I was in the same situation as almost everybody who studies laws. Law, you know, you are a grown-up, but you haven't had any experience with uh, with with society because it's it's so uh, locked into the university. Uh, uh, yeah, you have your friends there, and you don't have much of a responsibility, you know. And then you go out and uh, and begin to 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 use your qualifications, and you you slowly uh, realize over time how how thing how things work. For me personally, I've spent many years as a lawyer uh, um, advising people, and I feel that's something which is really sort of near to my heart. Uh, I, I really want to to help people on an individual level and uh, uh, I never take any cases for the governments uh, anymore for for author local authorities or publicly owned uh, companies anything like that I only want to help um, individuals and, and companies when they have a conflict with uh, other uh, citizens or, or, or companies or if they have problems with with the government for instance so uh, that's a sort, of, sort of something that I'm still very passionate about. But uh, understanding the system um, the way I do now, it also puts me in a position where I can give uh, a bit more sort of uh, experienced, uh, more informed advice to them and tell them, well, this is the law. This is how it works. This is, uh, these are the facts uh, which I have summarized here in, in your case. And it should turn out to be uh, the result should be this or that in, in in the court if we if we go to a judge and ask uh, for a, a decision. But 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 the problem is that uh, there there is probably no other place where people lie as much as they do in the courts. I think it's the same in Norway as it's other places. That, that it, it's not it's not a truth factory you don't get the truth there so it's a, it's really a risky bet to go to the courts uh, sometimes and we we have so many good judges in norway i'm very happy for that and i don't think they are corrupted uh, at least not uh, to any extent as in many many other countries so that's something which i'm quite proud of but um, for, for me now, the situation where I'm in, in now, it, it makes more sense to me to try to capitalize on all the other knowledge that I have uh, about society and our monetary system and try to 
to to help people in that in that uh, way. So I'm writing books and uh, being active. I'm more of an activist now than uh, than a lawyer these days. So when did Bitcoin come and present itself to you then, uh, and uh, and why? What what was going on in your life at that time? And I'm sure you'd brushed it off a few times beforehand. Okay, one of the first uh, guys who read uh, parts of the manuscript for Fraudcoin, he was into Bitcoin, and he said, "You really need to to understand Bitcoin a lot uh, better." And uh, because, as you know, I've written a couple of pages about cryptocurrencies and Bitcoin in in Fraudcoin, so I had to read uh, enough to understand uh, what not to write in my book and. Uh, uh, so I started out, uh, I think, in August uh, 2022 to read up on, on Bitcoin. And um, once I published a book, then the Bitcoin community embraced me. And uh, it was love, love at first sight. It was a sort of, uh, uh, yeah, I, I immediately fell in love with them as well because uh, we we had so many shared values, you know, you know what I'm talking about here. So, so now... These days, uh, I'm also working on a book on Bitcoin, which is going to be, be launched, uh, yeah, perhaps in the beginning of uh, next year or something like that. Amazing, yeah. And I saw you got a quote in here from Hodlin, one of your uh, your brothers up there in uh, the northern parts of Europe. So you, you, you're you're around good company. Yes, I love uh, Hodlin. He's uh, as we say here in Norway, his whole wood. <laughs> <laughs> so he is, uh, he's the real thing. Yeah. He's solid. He's the real deal. <laughs> he certainly is. The real deal. Yes. Yeah. All right, mate. Well, um, I could ask you the final question before we, before we wrap up. Uh, if you had one last orange pill left to give to somebody, who would you give that to and why? Oh, that's a tricky one. One last pill. Yeah, it would have to be to my daughter. Yeah. For me, she represents the future, the next generation. We are doing it uh, for them. So, and perhaps she could uh, carry the torch uh, uh, in the future. Yeah. Has she read your book? She has, she has tried to to read uh, parts of Fraudcoin, but uh, she has got an attention span which is typical for for her generation. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, but I talk uh, I talk a lot about Bitcoin now these days uh, with her, and she's interested. Yeah. She wants to to have some Bitcoin. She understands that her her money loses value every day. So uh, yeah, yeah, it's, quite optimistic. Um... Yeah. It's, uh, I have these battles with my teenage daughters all the time. Uh, the younger two seem a little bit more open to it. They, they don't roll their eyes so much. I think that's probably just their age. Uh, but there was a great moment last week where my daughter, Sophia, 16, she had done some work for uh, one of the restaurants here uh, over the summer months. And I had been, each time I'd gone to the restaurant, I'd I've been slowly orange pilling this guy for God knows how long, but he finally accepts me. He he allows me to pay him in Bitcoin now. So he had some Bitcoin in a in a in a wallet, 
And when it came to paying Sophia, he said, well, do you want Fiat or, or Bitcoin? I'm like, yes, this is amazing. Like there's another, you know, the, the flywheel is, is turning. And she said, yeah, I'll take Bitcoin. So I helped her get a wallet set up and everything. And he sent it over. And I think it was 410 euros. And Sophia and I were out in the car the other day. I'm like, you got your phone on you? Yeah, of course you have. But it's probably, you know, taped to your hand. Uh, just check what's in your um, your Bitcoin wallet that, that Nick sent over. Like, you didn't have anything in there before, right? It was a brand new wallet. She's like, yeah, it's brand new. Yeah, 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 it's still there. I'm like, but what's it showing you now in euros? She said, uh, 465 euros. And how much were you paid? Like 410? Okay. <laughs> has the Satoshi just dropped? You've sat on your ass for the last three weeks and what you earn has gone up in value. Like it's, you know, locking in your time and energy that you expended for that work and still rewarding you after. Mm. She's like, that's amazing. So it's like little learning, little touch points like that. That are so important um and it's so great right when you see right. like the lights go on excellent i love that story yeah right well where can people find you find your book um and yeah uh i'll follow up again with uh madeira i'm in constant talks with the guys that are organizing that and if we can get you over there it would be great to have you on a panel um, budgets and everything are being um, waited on. So fingers crossed you can get over there. Uh, but do you have any other uh, appearances lined up at all before the end of the year? Yes, actually, actually, just a couple of days ago, I was invited to the biggest economics conference in the Nordic countries. It's a four-day event in the end of October, taking place in uh, the oil city Stavanger on the west coast of Norway. So I'm going to give uh, at least one, possibly two uh, presentations there. Um, that's uh, one of the things. Uh, and I have uh, probably have some pod podcast appearances and uh, possibly one or two conferences uh, in, in Norway in addition. But I don't have any plans for doing anything uh, abroad. Uh, but yeah. Get in touch with me if you want to, to have me on your podcast or want me to do anything together with you. You find me on um, Twitter or X as it's called now. I guess you can put my uh, contact data in the show notes. So, And you can buy my my book, the Fraud Coin book on, on Amazon if you uh, want to have a look at it. So, yeah. And is it, is before it we on end, consensus? Did, did I have it on consensus on their shop yet? Yes, you can buy it from Consensus. Do that oh, instead from buying yeah. it from uh, Amazon. Yeah. No, no Amazon, guys. Come on. Let, let's, no, let's support no. the plebs. So bitcoinbook.shop. And uh, if you use the code BITTEN, you'll get 10% discount. And if you pay in Bitcoin via the Lightning Network, you get another 10% discount, that discount. So there's the shill. So buy two, one for you and one for a friend, and let's get pilling as many people as we can about you know, what's really going on? Like, what is inflation? Like, what is it really? Because so few people understand or know, and they're just blindly walking through life and they don't realize that they're being stolen from and taken advantage of. And I just really want to wake as many people up as I possibly can because we're all being stolen from and we all need to rise up. Excellent, excellent. And just one final thing. I have a new book coming up before the Bitcoin uh, book. And uh, your viewers are going to be the first one to have a glimpse of it here. I'm just going to 
pass it quickly in front of uh, of the of the camera now and this is it nice and that's all you got to that's all we got okay. that, 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 <laughs> that you get to see of it so this is a this is a, something that i have very high expectations about uh, this is a very important book for, for me it's called unbar and uh, we will uh, have some more information about it now in in the first coming weeks unbar now now you've got me thinking this is to do with the legal system this has to do mostly with the monetary system and uh, how um, the belief system of the people connect to the monetary system and also how all the other things uh, scale uh, are layered upon the monetary system. So it's also a, an historic perspective on, on those uh, things and it's a lot of geopolitics and also uh, the question, um, what, what's uh, sort of the next um, new world order going to look like? So it's a, it's a little bit about that, but uh, mainly about the monetary system as well. Amazing. Uh, yeah, I've got an idea of what the new world order should look like. It should look like um, mempool.space. If you just go there and have a look, that's the new world order. That's what we are going to build absolutely everything on. Society, you know, social layer at the very base, like you, like you've said. Uh, and uh, another brilliant, I, you know, moment to to uh, plug Orange Pill app there, where people can start meeting each other and finding Bitcoin events. So let's keep building together. Um, I think you've written an amazing book. If nobody's read it yet, please go out and get one and write your own, right? I think that's my final ask of the plebs because we all have at least an article in this and yours started as an article and then morphed into a book and look how many difference, uh, how much difference this is going to make to many people's lives. So thank you for your work and thank you for your new book. And uh, I look forward to, to meeting you in person and uh, anything else that uh, you put out. Thanks for having me. This was a really a joy for me to be a part of. And uh, thanks for, for, for the work that you are doing. It's very important. Yeah. Thank you, Rune. See you Have around. Day. Same to you. Thanks. Thank you for listening, everybody. And thank you to Rune for coming on the show. And like I said, please go out and check out Rune's work. Two books now. Because as of today, as of the 31st of October, he has released Unbar, the book about law that project that he has been working on to get out there as well fraud coin like we discussed is an incredible book and um, you know you will learn so much about historical inflation events and it will put everything into context to you as to what is going on right now in modern day under your noses as we are having our purchasing power completely stolen away from us with what we now call quantitative easing or quantitative easing two or any of the other mumbo jumbo language that they come up to hide their schemes their inflation policies from you from these central banks that are doing this to us every day our money is being debased and devalued our purchasing power is going down the house that you wish to buy is not going up in value your purchasing power is disappearing in front of your very eyes. That is why we opt out of fiat and into Bitcoin. 
it's the complete opposite system. So if you're not revved up enough by that interview with Rune, uh, I don't know what will help you understand what is happening to your money. Anyway, please share this with uh, somebody um, that hasn't learned about Bitcoin yet um, because it's happening to all of us, inflation. And um, this could be their journey into the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And welcome if this is the first couple of episodes that you're listening to. I hope to be doing some more basic episodes going into the, ne- into the new year and uh, doing some real ground up kind of Bitcoin beginner stuff that we can start sharing around uh, newcomers as well. Anyway. Enough rambling from me. Uh, the usual um, ask for the listeners, uh, if you can, uh, you already do so much anyway, just by tuning in. But if you can share some episodes or rate or review them, that would be amazing. Come say hi at any of the conferences that uh, that you see me around with the family. You can check out my own book that is called Choose Life. That's available on uh, the Consensus Network, bitcoinbook.shop, along with Rune's books along with many others. If you use the code BITTON, you'll get 10% discount. If you use the Lightning Network, pay Bitcoin, pay with Bitcoin via the Lightning Network, you'll get a further 10% discount. And um, join Orange Pill App. Go and find your people. Go find out events near you. Go and learn more about Bitcoin in person. If you want to get to an in-person event, the one to look out for at the, f- at the start of next year, 1st to 3rd of March in Madeira, Portugal, is Bitcoin Atlantis. What a lineup. Already confirmed. Sailor, Dorsey, Lynn Alden, Mallers, Jeff Booth, Preston Pish, Alex Gladstein, Obi Nwosu, Knuts von Holm. Need I go on? There's going to be so much more as well and it's going to be a very family-friendly event. So please make sure you get your tickets and use code BITTEN for a discount. Catch you on the next show.